we're about to head down this path. It might feel like the same path we've been on, but it's, it's new in that um, we talked about the church that we see in the Bible, and we, and we went through this whole process of kind of getting a sense for what it looks like, and, and now we're going to start down the path of um, how do we do that? How do we do it? And then literally doing it so that we become more and more like the church we see in the Bible. And, and the church we see in the Bible is me. It's you. It's you. It's you. It's you. It, individually, and it's us collectively as the church. Um, we're going to start to do testimonies. Um, if we've got some, we'll share them. If we don't, I'll use somebody else's. They're all testimonies of the same God, the same spirit. Um, we're going to start to proclaim and, and teach God in all of his facets so that he can move in all of his facets, so that we'll believe for everything that God is. So um, this morning, God is provider. He provides. He always provides. He, has, uh, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. If there's anybody wondering, like the lady that couldn't pay her rent and was going to get put out on the street, um, God's got provision for you. So if you just would be comfortable for a minute, I'm going to read you just a little portion out of this book. We have this book, by the way, in our little church library over here, if you want to check one out. Um, just a little background. So this is uh, Heidi Baker, Heidi and Roland Baker. They've started their ministry, this is you know, 20 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. They started their ministry in Mozambique. They were given this compound where um, it was really kind of like a mental institution, jail kind of thing for kids. So much AIDS, so much civil war, so few adult men. There were orphans every place in Mozambique. And the place was just littered with feces. The children had no blankets. They were just horrible. So they, but they gave it to them. And they went in there and they cleaned it up. And they go out into the dump where the, where the orphan kids live. And they bring them out of the dump. And they bring them home. And they clean them up. And they feed them. And they take care of them. And then the devil got in somebody's head and came and said, You can stay here, but you can't worship your God and you can't pray to your God. And th so they started like, I don't know what to do, you know. They prayed a little bit. They got the kids all together and um, told them, listen, for a little while, we can't worship God. Well, these were destitute little children that had no food to eat. I mean, if you think about it, paradise would be the dump up at Grand Blank Road and 23, a U.S. dump. We throw stuff away that's treasure. In Mozambique, there's nothing left to throw away. I mean, what you find in the dump in Mozambique has got to be so horrible. But that was where these kids lived, and this is how they survived. Um, and they started to believe in Jesus and pray and worship God, and he's changed their lives, and he brought them to this place, and the kids just said no. They just started worshiping God. Somebody got word. They got kicked out. They had hundreds and hundreds of kids. Now, they got a little office and a little garage in the town of Maputo, which is the capital of uh, Mozambique, and that's kind of where the story picks up. Ch Chihango is the, the base that they had that they got kicked out of. To get out of Chihango, our staff worked day and night, packing up and cleaning out building after building in the rain and mud until 3 and 4 o'clock in the morning. They loaded our trucks and trailer and hauled our belongings to storage in Maputo, wherever friends offered us space. All of us had only one place to go at first, our little office flat in Maputo which had a bit of a patio, a crowded garage, and a laundry workroom in the back. We were inundated by our very most needy children. Literally, they had to just turn the children back out into the streets. They had no place to put the kids, hundreds of children. Our neediest children, the youngest street orphans with absolutely no relatives or friends to whom they could go. They had walked barefoot 15 miles into the city and streamed into our flat. They told us they had been beaten with large sticks for singing to Jesus. They said they would go where we go because they were going to worship the Lord. When they told them we had no place for them, they simply, their simple reply was, but Mama, you said there would always be enough. What could I say? They kept piling in, maybe a hundred of them. We stuffed bunk beds in our dilapidated little garage full of grease and cobwebs. Loaded, uh, loaned army cots were all over our yard and driveway. Urine ran in our hallway. We hosed the kids down to try to wash them. All our doors and windows were full of faces. We didn't know how to cope. We had nowhere near the food or the cooking and sanitation facilities we needed. Boxes, clothes, and suitcases were piled high everywhere. Everyone was totally exhausted. 
Everything was in complete chaos. And more children kept gravitating to our gate. We ran out of strength, crying as we watched our sea of faces gather. I wondered seriously, even after Toronto, she had gotten a powerful touch of God in Toronto. Does God really care? What is he like anyway? I never thought he would leave us in a situation like this. Our daughter, Crystalline, began to cry because she was so hungry. I thought I was going to snap. We didn't have any big pans for cooking. We weren't prepared in any way to feed all those children. A precious woman from the U.S. Embassy came over with food. I brought you chili and rice for your family, she announced sweetly, with just enough for the four of us. We hadn't eaten in days. I opened a door and showed her all our children. I have a big family, I pointed out tiredly, but in complete and desperate earnest. My friend got serious. There's not enough. I need to go home and cook some more. But I just asked her to pray over the food. Now she was upset. Don't do this, she begged, but she prayed quickly. I got out the plastic plates we used for street outreaches, and also a small pot of cornmeal I had. We began serving, and right from the start, I gave everyone a full bowl. I was dazed and over... I was dazed and overwhelmed. I barely understood at the time what a wonderful thing was happening, but all our children ate, the staff ate, my friend ate, and even our family of four ate. Everyone had enough. Since then... Glasses are gonna fall. Since then, we have never said no to an orphaned, abandoned, or dying child. Now we feed and take care of more than 1,000 children. They eat and drink all they want of the Lord's goodness. Because he died, there's always enough. What's that guy's name that sounds so good? He narrates all the shows. He was in the baseball movie. Make me sound like him. Can you hear me? I'll just talk loud. And when I get really loud, it sounds like I'm back on. Those are amazing stories. They're true stories. They're God stories. If you struggle with believing that particular story, it actually happened here. We, um, we, Teresa, Lori, I don't know who, in the children's church was getting ready to give the kids their snack. I think they were animal crackers. And there weren't enough animal crackers for the kids. So they just started serving them, figuring what they're going to do, just serving them, serving them. All the kids got animal crackers. When they went to pack up, the animal cracker jar was as full as it was when they started and said there wasn't enough animal crackers for the kids. God literally, pardon me, multiplied the animal crackers so there'd be enough for everybody. And then we had extra. Yay, God. Amen. Amen. So that's, that's where we're at now. We talked about what the kingdom looks like. We talked about the um, kingdom gospel versus the salvation gospel. Um, we have a picture in our minds. Now we're going to talk about the how. That was the what. This is the how. And the process we're going to follow, and it won't necessarily be every single week, but the Lord has already given me a number of different things. We talk about... Um, the power of God to heal, the, the provision that God has to multiply food supernaturally, uh, those kinds of things. But there's so much more of us being the church that we see in the Bible. Things like um, love just flowing out of our hearts and um, generosity, uh, compassion, uh, all the fruits of the Spirit manifest fully in our lives all the time. So he's already given me this list of things. Next week, we're going to touch on the first one. And then each week we touch on one of those topics, we're going to have a prayer meeting at the church over on um, Seymour Road, and we're going to deal with that particular thing, that thing that's inhibiting us from being the church individually and collectively that we see in the Bible. Okay? So let's start with talking about the what. Brenda, if you want to just shut me off, you don't? Okay. All right. Um, John the Baptist... Jesus, Peter, first message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, repent, repent. Repent means change your mind. Think differently. Um, turn. We, we talked about that um, certainly repent in that context meant walk away from this sinful lifestyle that you have. But it also meant when John the Baptist was presenting the kingdom that you would change the way you think about the kingdom. Um, because if you don't, you, the kingdom can be all about you and you'll miss it. 
So many people missed the kingdom because they expected, Israel expected the Messiah to come in a different fashion than the Messiah actually came in the form of Jesus Christ. So the key to us being the church that we see in the Bible is literally that we change our minds. If we don't have enough food to feed hungry people, just a little, not enough, our worldly mind, the mind that we've been indoctrinated into would say, man, we better give everybody just a little bit so everybody can get something in their stomach. The changed mind says, if there's one grain of rice, there's enough for everybody because the kingdom doesn't leave people hungry. Okay? When you got born again, like the two ladies that I've had the honor to, to be with the last couple of weeks when it happened for them, your spirit is done. It's right now connected with Jesus. It's seated with Jesus in heavenly places. It's there. But your soul, the collection of your mind, your will, and your emotions becomes a work in process. And if you can think of your soul in the context of your mind as a faucet, right? Uh, Teresa said, wake up the sleeping giant. I, a little bit of a, a misstatement. The, the giant inside of you is not asleep, but he gets released by you to do the things of the kingdom. And if you think of your mind as a spigot, as a faucet, and as the mind is changed to believe what the word says versus what the world has taught us, the spigot opens up a little more, and the dance gets a little deeper, and the spigot opens up a little more, and the power of the one that Teresa called the sleeping giant starts to become more and more released through us until we get to this place that Jesus talked about where he said, rivers of living water will flow from your innermost places. The power of the Holy Spirit, love and joy and peace and healing and all those things coming out of you because your spigot is so open, because your mind is so changed, right? Mark 16, verse 17. These signs will accompany those who have believed. Who do the signs accompany? Those who have believed. What are the signs? In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And even if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Key word, all that stuff, key word is having believed. If you believe, if you see in the prayer, Mike sent me a, a text message. I love it. He's reading his scripture and, and God um, opens up revelation to him about a certain scripture. And in there it says, for those who pray and believe, you expect to get what you, what you ask for because you believe. In your mind is where you believe. So I'll read you three courses of scripture that speak to um, the changing of the mind. First is in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 17 through 24. And the first two are fairly long courses of scripture. So just kind of listen and I'll come back and touch on the high points. Ephesians chapter 4. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted, in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you may be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness and the truth. So, key points in here. As the Gentiles, that you no longer walk just as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So the worldly way of thinking, this way that comes before the renewing, being renewed in the spirit of your mind, it's, it's literally futility from the perspective of the kingdom. Um, in the futility of their minds, they've been excluded from the life of God because of ignorance. That's their, that's their beliefs. It's what they believe is ignorant relative to the truth of God. He says to lay aside your old self and then being renewed in the spirit of your mind and putting on the new self or the new man in the likeness of God. So, as we change our minds, as we're renewed in the spirit of our minds, we gain more of the likeness of God in our person, in our soul, in our, in our spigot getting opened wider. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 10. 
Therefore, if, you've been, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will re be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience, and in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put... Now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, to the true image of God. So, seeking and setting our minds on the above. I'm not going to read from... Um, Romans chapter 8, I believe, talks sentence after sentence about the mindset to the flesh, the mindset to the spirit, the spirit are things above, or Philippians chapter 4 that says that you would um, be anxious for nothing, and how you would lose that anxiety, and God would give you this peace that's beyond your ability to even understand it, and then he tells you to dwell on these things, which are consistent with the things up above. It's, it's in your mind where the change has to happen. Seeking and setting our minds on things above, and then being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of God. Our knowledge of God is limited and growing, can always grow. God is infinite. So there, there is never going to be a time, amazingly, through eternity, that we will experience and know everything of an infinite God. But in the knowing of God is the transfer, the transition of our minds. Um, Paul in Ephesians prays a prayer over the, the believers in Ephesus, and he says, um, he prays that they would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God, that, that the spirit would bring them revelation in knowing God, because in knowing God is to know truth, and the truth will overwhelm the lie. Okay, um, Romans Chapter 12 and verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The word transformed here in Greek is metamorpho. Metamorpho. Which it's the word that we get metamorphosis from. If you think of the transformation that happens from a caterpillar to a butterfly, a completely new thing. It's, it's different. It's totally transformed. That's what Scripture is trying to teach us about ourselves as we are changed by the renewing of our mind. The transformation in our being happens by the renewing of our mind, and that transformation is to be so dramatic that it would be indicative of what you would see with a butterfly from a caterpillar. If you look at the... Um, Strong's definition of that Greek word metamorpho, it's to change into another form, to transform, to transfigure. And the example it gives is on the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus literally started to shine with this brightness that was not earthly. He completely transfigured into this heavenly being right before their eyes. And then the dictionary definition of metamorphosis is similar a change of the form or nature of a thing or person into a completely different one. A completely different one in form or nature. And then it says, interestingly, by natural or supernatural means. I think they kind of happen by both. I think the natural process is us deciding to agree with God. The supernatural process is the power of Holy Spirit that actually causes it to happen. The agreement has to happen for the power to come. Okay, um... So then before we talk about how do we get from where we're at to where we need to be, let's talk about how we got to where we are. In our culture, we don't see the power of God the way other people do in other parts of the world. And I believe it's because of the indoctrination. I don't think it's a necessarily a conscious indoctrination that there's some you know, evil, um, sneaky society of people that control 
everything that you know gets fed to us in our culture. But I do think that its source is from the devil. I think that the devil has influenced us into a way of thinking. Like for today, the worldly thought is me. I have to get mine. If you get some in the process, that's okay as long as I get mine. It's very selfish. It's very much about me. It's about how do I look? How do I look compared to how you look? How, what do I have compared to what you have? It's, it's very much a me-centric message, which is contrary to God, can only be from the devil. And, he, and he's done it by influencing people in very subtle ways over very long periods of time. And then we get influenced by someone whose job it is to sell clothing, for example. And the, um, the way that they've learned to um, pander to the way we now think is to present us with pictures that tell us, this is how you're supposed to look. This is the way that you would be accepted and cool. And, but it's unattainable most of the time. And, and you know, maybe my job is to sell beer, and I have to convince you that you, know, you are a better person. You're different. You're cooler. You're, you're more attractive if you drink my beer. Well, how do I do that? I have to find out a way to appeal to that nature that's typically not consistent with God. So it's advertising. It's the things that you're taught in school. You know, you're taught evolution versus creation. You're not allowed to pray in school anymore. Um, you're, you're quietly being taught things that are contrary every time you open your eyes, when you drive down the road, uh, contrary to, to what God wants. Even our parents, even ourselves as parents, our wrong beliefs we feed to our children, and suddenly they get in there. And they have to kind of be gotten back out again. Um, faith in what we see more so than God's word. If I pray for somebody who's sick and I don't see him get healed, then the devil wants me to start questioning whether God really does heal. But the scripture says, I'm supposed to go heal people. Authorities, I think about global warming. You know, you, you hear the guy who used to be the president of the United States or some you know, a guy with three PhDs, and he tells you, hey, you got to quit breathing so much because all of your exhale is causing the glaciers to melt and the whole earth is going to get flooded again. And, and you believe it because he's an authority, because he's, he's, he's put in a place where you would believe him. He used to be the president of the United States or who knows who. And then other scientists check this stuff out, and I don't know if you've noticed, but it's still cold. I mean, it's, you know, it's a, indicative the, the temperature isn't going up, it's going down the last few years. And there's these cyclical things, but now we have to undo this little seed that's been planted in our brains that says that, um, you know, evolution is really what happened, or global warming, we believe it. Be and I'm not, maybe it is global warming. They could be right. I'm not trying to argue that point. Just how this junk gets in our heads, and then we have to be able to um, contrast it with scripture and real truth, right? Some people will tell you that uh, truth is relative. So while this might be true, in this situation, it's not true. Well, that's false. Truth is only ever truth, and false is only ever false. There isn't a relative nature to truth. Like, um, I'm going to go and steal some stuff so that I can sell it and have some money for myself. That's wrong. I'm going to go and steal some stuff because I'm hungry and I haven't had anything to eat. Well, that's okay to steal in that context. Well, it's not okay to steal. Stealing is stealing. Truth is truth. The effect of all of the untruth that gets into our minds from all these different sources is what, excuse me, what the Bible calls strongholds or fortresses. Um, the dictionary definition of those is anything on which one relies of the arguments and reasonings by which a person endeavors to fortify his opinion and defend it against his opponent. So you have these fortresses in your mind that are protecting these ways that you think, that I think, and they're contrary to God. Scripture says that we're to tear those things down. So the process of us transforming, being renewed in our minds, is the tearing down of these strongholds. It's described in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses, patterns of thought that are inconsistent with the truth. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So Paul is telling us here that, that there's, a, there's a true knowledge of God, and I'm going to pray that you get this spirit of wisdom and revelation that will help you to understand God so that you would know God. 
And then there's these things in our minds that stand against that knowledge. And we have these spiritual weapons that we use to begin to tear those things down that the true knowledge of God might rise up in our minds. And we might not only believe, these signs and miracles and wonders will follow those who believe. We might not only believe, but that we will act. We will walk by faith and not by sight. The process of the transformation is the tearing down of these strongholds. Um, So this seems fairly logical based on what I've just said, but how do we do the process of tearing down the strongholds? Well, first, you have to eliminate the sources of falsehood, right? Now, it's amazing to me the transformation that's happened in my mind in the last, I don't know, two and a half years. We went to Africa in beginning of June in 2007. We turned off cable TV because who wants to pay for cable TV when you're not there to watch it? And when we got home, I didn't have a job anymore, so we didn't turn it on because we didn't want to pay for it. We haven't had TV since. Now, you can watch some TV shows on the Internet, and you know, so it's not like we're totally void of that kind of worldly influence, but it is so dramatically less in our lives. It's changed us because the influence is not attacking our minds every, set, every minute of the day. It used to be how we spent our time was watching television. Now we don't, because we just don't have it. So the influence has been dramatically reduced, and now we have to do something else with our time, and we spend more time reading our Bibles, you know, reading books like the Heidi Baker book. We spend time in praying. We spend time talking about the Lord, which is then tearing down the strongholds. So the first step in the process of the renewing of your mind is to be conscious of the source of the falsehood and get it out of your life. Just get it gone. Then the second step in the process is to replace it with the truth. Feed yourself on the truth. Um, things like this. I, I don't know why. I, I want to get up, but I'm not comfortable up. But I'm going to get up. Maybe it's God. Um, feed yourself with the truth. First, seek Jesus. If you, if you don't know what that means, read your Bible. Pray. Ask God. Say, I'm seeking you, Jesus. Help me to find you, Jesus. How do I find that perfect knowledge of God? Seek Jesus. The second is read Scripture. Until God takes me home, that's going to be the number one message of my life is to tell people you've got to read your Bible. You can't know truth if you won't expose yourself to truth. You get a little bit on Sunday mornings. We read tons of scripture up here. But relative to you being renewed in your mind, it's, it's just a tiny little trickle of what you need. So read your Bible. Spend time with God in prayer and literally ask him to renew your mind. There are so many things that the Bible says that I don't understand because the Bible says them. I just ask God to do them in me. If I could renew my mind, if I could walk perfectly in the law, then Jesus, he died for nothing. The good ones would have the discipline. They'd be perfect. They'd do right and they'd go to heaven and the ones that didn't would go to hell and it'd all work itself out. But nobody has that ability. Nobody has that ability. So I say, God, renew my mind. I don't know exactly. Well, maybe I have a sense now because I'm telling you, but for years, I'd ask God, renew my mind. You have to change the way I think. You have to give me kingdom thoughts. I give you permission, God. I would put oil on my head, put my hand up here, and I'd say, Lord, I give you my mind. Any thought that wouldn't emanate from your throne that would be contrary to the way you think, I don't want it. I just want you to take it away. And I want you to fill it up with your thoughts. You can have it. You can just be the puppet master of my mind. I don't want any thoughts that aren't yours. I don't know exactly how that works, but it's a good prayer. I think God will answer that prayer. So ask him. Getting together with other Christians. We met Thursday night for men. It was amazing to me how many stories guys told about answered prayers. Iron sharpens iron. As you start to get an edge on your, on your blade, you've got to rub it up against somebody because you're going you're gonna to make their blade sharp in an area where God has given you revelation. They're going to make your blade sharp in an area where he's given that person revelation. When you fellowship together with other believers your mind gets changed. Testimonies. Share testimonies. I've heard Bill Johnson say, he'll share a testimony about an amazing miracle that he saw God do. And then someone will say, well, what about the one that he didn't do? And he's like, I don't know. I'm not dwelling on that one. I'm dwelling on the one that God did. I'm going to set my mind to the things that are consistent with Scripture. And if there's a process, if there's something, if there's sin in my life, if, if my vessel is plugged up with something and, and that's inhibiting God's ability to move through me, then I want to ask that question. But basically, we want to fill ourselves up with positive testimonies that lead us to believe in truth. 
Um, my theological words on my next one are, do the stuff. Do the stuff. Somebody's sick, pray for them. Somebody's depressed, pray that they'll have joy, that the depression will leave them. Teresa was up here this morning. She was, when she was telling you guys about praying for your children, she was sharing a testimony. She just didn't tell you. We had a powerful experience yesterday morning with Bryn with, um, man, um, ask me on the side sometime. I'll tell you about it. But it was spiritual and it was powerful. It was amazing. Do the stuff. Ask God for spiritual gifts. We're supposed to desire spiritual gifts. We should be desiring to prophesy. We need prophetic words. We need tongues and interpretations, all that stuff. Ask God. James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And guess what happens when he draws near to you? He brings his kingdom with you. His stuff will start to happen when you're close to him. You'll start to change because you'll be in his presence. In his presence, wrong can't be. It just can't. This is the one where I poke you in the eye a little bit, but I don't mean it in a mean way, but the renewing of your mind is not a passive endeavor. You can't be transformed by just hoping that it's so. Pastor Pat said, I need to be transformed. I can't wait till it happens. Well, some might happen, because you're here right now, right? A little bit can happen. Presence of God is here right now. A little bit can happen. But the powerful transformation, the thing that takes you from being a caterpillar into a butterfly is not a passive thing. Um, <laughs> two things that, that when I was praying, they just popped into my head a lot of times, so I'll share them with you. Here's the, here's the way I see many Christians. Um, I'm a guy, I'm Pat, and I'm going to the bank, right? So I walk into the bank, and I wait in line, you know, and I'm all excited, and the lady waves at me, and I come up, and now I'm standing at the teller, and I'm like, hi, and she's like, hi, and she says, wow, you look really happy. I'm like, I am happy. Well, why are you so happy? Well, I've come for some money. She says, great. I said, yeah, I was talking to this guy. He said he goes to the bank and he gets money and he buys groceries and all kinds of stuff and it's just cool and I've never done that. So I'm here for some money. And she's like, awesome. What's your account number? Huh? No, your account number. You know, when you make your deposits, you know, you have an account number. When you open up your account, you're like, no, I don't have one of those. Well, yeah, you can't really withdraw money without an account. Oh, no, no, I just want the money. No, you have to actually put some in to get some out. Or, I wish Shane was here. He threw his back out yesterday. But Shane Steckroth, if you know Shane, the guy has got muscles coming out of his muscles. I mean, he's got muscles like crazy. And I had this picture of going to Shane's gym. And there's the guy standing at the door, and I'm like, I want big muscles. And he's like, great, you came to the right place. And he said, uh, it costs 30 bucks a month to join the gym. I'm like, okay, how bad do I want big muscles? 30 bucks a month, it's worth it. So I give the guy 30 bucks for my first month. Come back in a few days. Hey, my muscles aren't any bigger. I'm not sure this works. He's like, well, have you been here? No, 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 just really would like to have some big muscles, though. And he says, well, your 30 bucks is what gets you through the door. You see all these things, all these sweaty people back here pushing around all these heavy things? That's how the big muscles happen. The 30 bucks just kind of gets you through the door so that you can start exercising on the equipment that will give you the big muscles. Shane works really, really hard to get big muscles. He doesn't just hope that big muscles will grow because, you know, he'd like to have big muscles. You can't take a withdrawal from account that you didn't put in a deposit. You can't get the benefits of exercise without exercising. You have to do. It's not passive. It's an, it's an active, participating kind of a thing. Two scriptures I'll share with you um, in this regard. Second Corinthians 9, 6, and it's the it's the um, principle of sowing and reaping. Now I say this, he who sows sparingly, sows little, will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Galatians 6, 7, and 8, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. God will not be mocked. Don't be deceived. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh, from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit, from the Spirit, reap eternal life. I had a conversation with a guy yesterday. We talked about sowing and reaping, and the principle that I love, or the, the example that I love is, if I take a, a kernel of corn, a little teeny kernel of corn, and I put it in the ground, maybe I break up the soil, and I put that thing down in there, and I make the soil nice, and I'll pour water on it, 
let the sun shine down on it, it'll grow into a stalk of corn. And a stalk of corn will have, I don't know how many ears of corn, maybe five ears of corn, three ears of corn. And each ear of corn will have 300 kernels of corn, maybe at 500 or 1,000. From one kernel of corn, if I will invest one kernel of corn and take care of it, God will provide me with a stalk of corn that might have 2,000 kernels of corn from the little one that I invested. But if I leave that kernel of corn in my pocket, if I just want to hold on to it and I don't invest it, I don't put it in the ground, I don't take care of it, I don't nurture it, if I don't take the seed, right? It's the word of God. And I won't nurture it and I won't hang out with it and be with it, no corn will grow. Matter of fact, worse will happen because there's somebody else who wants to sow death in you. And you have to fight it with this. So it sounds silly um, to talk about the guy that would go to the bank and want to make a withdrawal without making a deposit, or the guy that would go to the gym and pay 30 bucks a month and never walk through the door and expect to get big muscles. But that's kind of how I see Christians. There are areas of their life, they will go to the gym, and they will work out for three hours a day. And, and I'm, I'm, man, I feel like I'm casting a dispersion on Shane. I'm not, Right? But, but Shane makes that investment. People make investments in all kinds of things. And then they get mad at God when they made no investment at all, and their life is a mess. And, and I've got this, I don't, I don't want to scare you away from coming because I want to minister to every single person. But my answer is, is the same. The, the marriage couple that's the problem, it's like, this is the book. It's got all the answers. But the trick is that you have to do them. If you, as a wife, will follow the instructions in this book in the way you relate to your husband, and you, Mr. Husband, will do the same with your wife, I promise you, I don't need to know anything about marriage counseling, you will have a blessed marriage if you'll submit yourself to the truth that's in this book. And that's what we have to do. We have to submit ourselves to the truth. So, I'm a little later than I wanted to be, but I'm going to do it anyway. Music is powerful. It moves us. Um, we didn't test it, did we? Are we pretty sure my song's going to play? Sweet. There's a song that I want to play for you. The ladies, I'm sure some of you have heard it because I think Teresa used this song or somebody. Anyway, Teresa got it from Kim. Anyway, good song. It's called Restoration. And if you think about it, God created you. You know, before the foundations of the earth, he thought more thoughts for each and every one of you than there are grains of sand. God didn't create you casually. He didn't create you by taking, you know, some dust of the ground like he did with Adam. He didn't pick it up and, and throw it against a tree and whatever pattern it stuck, he called that Mr. Engberg, and he called that one Kim Green, he called this one Laura. He spent thousands and millions of thoughts, different thoughts on exactly what you'd be like. Then you got born into this corrupted world, and the process that happened from original sin through the, the influence of evil in this world that you live in has corrupted the way that we think. But the restoration of our soul, of our mind, really is that renewing process. So, beautiful song. It's, it's not short. It's 10 minutes long. But I would love for you to just calm yourselves for a second. Hear the song, and it speaks to this process of restoration, this renewing, back to the way that God designed us to think when he, he thought with his powerful mind and spoke with his powerful words what we would be like. And then when we're done, I'm at, I'll just tell you this now. You can come and get one afterwards, and then we'll be done. This book right here is called Grace and Forgiveness. Next week's topic is forgiveness and unforgiveness. It's the greatest hindrance, I think, to people walking in the power of God, in receiving the gifts of God, is bitterness and unforgiveness. I won't teach the sermon today, but this is next week's talk. Bitterness, judgment, unforgiveness. This book is amazing. Teresa and I bought, we bought. This is our gift to you from me and Teresa, not from the church. We want it to be a blessing to you. Um, 35 of these books, so every family gets one. And I would ask you to set aside some time this week. You could probably, even I could probably read this in one reading, two at the most. Read it. And then next week when you come here, we're going to talk about what the Word says about unforgiveness. We're going to, um, learn how bad it is to keep judgment in our hearts. And then on Thursday, we're going to get together at the new church building. Anybody that wants to come, everybody that wants to come, and we're going to pray together 
that all that junk that's in our hearts that starts to get out of there so that we can be free from the huge boat anchor that unforgiveness is, okay? So every family, whenever you're ready to go, pick up one of these. If you could cue up the song. Guys, seems kind of weird how I talk today. I hope, I hope it was useful for you. We're on our way, man. I'm telling you, we are going to see miracles, signs, wonders. We're going to be changed. We're going to be just the way Jesus was because God, it's okay, you can let her go because God's going to make it this way. So you are going to maybe hear some thoughts of things where you want to start, where the Lord is going to show you while you're listening. Take note and pray about them, all right? I love you very much. I'll put the books up here for you to get when you had to go. Thank you, Lord. Amen. You bring restoration. You bring restoration. You bring restoration to my soul. You've taken my.
our God. That's the renewed mind. Oh, oh, you got a word? Hang on just a second, everybody. some of you, but um, in dancing, sorry, it's not that breath, um, sometimes it's worship, and sometimes it, it transitions over into warfare, and again, I know that probably sounds totally crazy, but it, it's like there's a shift, and sometimes you can tell it in my dancing, because I go from less sweeping motions to more like chopping motions, um, anyway, and the, the part where I was like, you make all things new, you make all things new, you take my morning and you turn it into dancing, it, it just, again, it, like there, there's just there so, so many broken hearts in here. And it's like he just desperately, desperately, it's like you're saying you're holding on to that broken heart and I can't heal it until you give it to me. And you probably have, like, all kinds of thoughts because Satan loves broken hearts. And he just tells you it's not worth it. God turned on you. He's a liar. Don't trust him. Don't believe in him. He hasn't given you what you deserve. You know, you know shame on him. Don't trust him anymore. And, and when you're in that state, he, he, he'll try to get through to you as best he can, but he's a gentleman. And he won't take your broken heart away until you surrender it. Um, part of what I was doing was trying to break some of those lies that he's been whispering to you and trying to break down some of, well, Pat kind of mentioned those thought structures that get built up. You know, if you think the same things over and over again, that's just the way your mind automatically goes. It's habit. And that's what Satan loves. He loves to get negative habits of thought in you. So anyway, it's, I love you guys. <laughs> and I know it may seem a little crazy, but I just, I just want to share that with you because it was like, God's like, I don't care if people see you go over there and dance for them. And I'm like, but it's so much easier in the back. <laughs> so anyway. Amen.